Well, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Revelation. We're going to be chapter 10, taking a look at, uh, at what the Lord has for us this evening. As we look together, Revelation 10 it kind of follows a pattern hopefully you've been picking up on as we worked our way through Revelation, especially when we get to the seals, trumpets, and the bulls. The Lord will lay out for us a series of six, and then he'll go back and look at other things that happened over that period of time. He'll give us the seventh seal, which are the seven trumpets. Six trumpets get laid out. Then we kind of look back over. We're going to look at the little book today. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the two witnesses, all events that occur prior to the last trumpet. The last trumpet's going to blow over the entire final three and a half year period of time and includes the seven bowls. The uh, seventh bowl is uh, going to conclude uh, all of these things. <clears throat> um, it's going to say basically the, the, the voice in heaven declares it is finished at the seventh bowl. So we'll be, as we work our way through, then we'll, after that seventh bowl, we're going to go back and we're going to have continuing chapters looking at the events that took place while all that was going on. You guys tracking with me so far? So as we look at, uh, as we look at Revelation 10, it's one of those. Let's look at it together and uh, we'll begin. It says in verse 1, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the, sh- the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the seven thunders, uh, what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his hand, his right hand, to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, (coughs) and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled." just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will be, it will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you, Lord. We pray that you meet us in this place. God, as we open your word, we ask that uh, your spirit would just give us clarification, God. That you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive, our ears to hear. Lord, ultimately, that you be glorified and magnified, God, in the, in the efforts that we take here in this place. Lord, we pray that we would come to understand the truth of your word in a greater degree. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
<coughs> All right, so we have the appearance of a mighty angel. That's the second time in Revelation we've seen a mighty angel. Uh, so when we take a look at this, I just let's talk a little bit about him. Verse 1, I saw another mighty angel. The word in the Greek for another is the word alos. There are two possible words for another. One is alos, one is heteros. Heteros means different, another of a different kind. Alos means another of the same kind. So we use the word hetero in a lot of different ways today. Still means the same thing. Another of a different kind. So when we come here, it says it's another, like that strong angel that we saw before. Another angel like him. So we're still talking about an angelic being. Now, we're going to look at the description of this angel. A lot of people want to make this angel to be Jesus. But if language has any meaning... This can't be Jesus. It's another angel, just like the other strong angel that came before. And the fact that those who are in the very throne room of God or in the presence of God would shine forth with any similar uh, characteristics, really that's our goal when we walk through this life, isn't it? Don't we want to look like Jesus? Don't we want to do the things He did, act like He did, follow that example? It would be no different to expect that in the heaven, heavenly realm as well. So in Revelation 5, 2, it says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? So another angel like that one. This is where this reference goes back to. Another mighty angel. Another one. Another. Uh, it's interesting. Some, Gabriel means strong, strong man. Uh, one of the, one angel, we know one of the angel's names is Gabriel, right? We've met Gabriel before. So a lot of people think Gabriel's the first one and Michael's the second. Now, we have by no means met all the angels, have we? No, does the Bible tell us about them all? Look, all I know is there's a, there's a group of angels that can't be numbered. So that's a large group, right? <clears throat> so I don't know that we can say one way or another who this is. But we can't identify. This is an angel, another angel. Now, what are the characteristics that I'm telling you about that make him uh, look like or um, resemble Jesus? Well, first one is he's wrapped in a cloud, right? Wrapped in a cloud. Now, this is <coughs> something that's pretty common in that time period to be used to describe an appearance of God, an appearance of God. He, he's clothed in the clouds. We've seen it in Scripture over and over again. In Psalm 104, verse 3, it says, He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. It's all poetic language for a divine being. So you have God Almighty spoken of as coming in the clouds. It shouldn't shock us that His angels also are described in similar... This is not a man, right? This is an angel. Something special about angels, isn't there? Now the Bible tells us that we should be careful to entertain strangers because some of us have entertained angels how? Unaware. So does an angel always look crazy? No. Not all the time, right? If an angel always looks crazy, then we would know we entertained them. Yeah? We'd say, oh, it was an angel over last night. It had four faces and six wings and he could fly in a lot of different directions. Well, that's one of the descriptions that the Bible talks about. 
But when we talk about the heavenly host, we need to understand the heavenly host is huge, not small. Now, how many different kinds of animals are there? Lots. How many different kind of people? Okay. All different shapes and sizes, different attitudes. God is a God of diverse creations. No reason to expect the uh, angelic host to be any different. So, but how do we know angel? He's, he's coming with similar characteristics to how we see God come. He's coming in the cloud. What else? Rainbow over his head. You remember Revelation chapter 4 verse 3. We were looking at the throne of God. What was one of the descriptions of the throne of God? It looked like a rainbow, right? Had a rainbow over the throne. Just similar language being used of another divine. Divine being meaning a heavenly being, right? Not a earthly being. Still a creation of God. He has a rainbow over his head. What about, what else? He's got the fi- uh, a face like the sun. Now, when it talks about Jesus, it says he has a face shining like the sun in all its strength. This is similar language. Similar language used of the angel, Revelation 1.16 in his, uh, it says, in his right hand, speaking of Jesus, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the, sh- the sun shining in its strength. So definitely less uh, glory language being used in terms of the angel. Almost like uh, it's not quite the same brightness. It's not quite the same glory. It's like a reflection. Are you tracking with me? So we got an angel reflecting the glory of God, which is how it ought to be, right? If you're part of the heavenly host, you ought to reflect God. If you're, if you're part of the fallen host, who do you reflect? The devil, right? If you're, so the idea is, is similar along those lines. He has legs like pillars of fire. When the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, how was it that God directed them? A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, right? So, Again, the idea is saying there are attributes, characteristics carried over that are seen within this angel. But look, the impact of the angel is what we see in verse 2. Look what happens. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now what's that mean? <clears throat> you get a picture of this obviously big angel, right? If he's going to be standing with one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, we're, we're talking big. I think what he's declaring, and the first thing we see in the impact of this angel is he's declaring this is all God's. The sea and all that's in it, the land and all that's in it, the heavens and all that's in it. It all belongs to him. Declaring ownership. We're going to see that actually as we move on in Revelation where the Bible says that God has declared all the heavens to be His now. It's His time of His kingdom. He's taking back ownership. It's one of the things we saw in chapter 6, right? Opening up the title deed, declaring that the debt has been paid, that God's coming to take it back. It's the real return of the king. We've Ever since the time... Uh, of the earliest man we've longed for and told stories about a return of a king that would make everything right, that would finally be the right kind of ruler, the right kind of leader, the one that would make sense of it all, right? That would put all the pieces together. How long have we been telling that story? Every single 
culture under heaven, has it? Because we're waiting for the return of the king. We're waiting for God to relay claim to the earth. What do we see this angel doing? Standing on the sea and the land declaring God owns it all. He's declaring that. He's declaring his position. He's declaring that God has it all. But then look, in verse 3 it says, And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Now when the lion, when the Bible uses this language, especially in reference to God, <coughs> he called out like a lion. There's, uh, there's lots of places where similar phrasing is used. What, what does it always declare? God's bringing judgment. It always is talking about God pouring out his judgment. We've seen a lot of judgment so far. What do we talk about? Remember the trumpets are used for what? Warning, right? So he sounded a warning. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. What's it going to take for you to repent? What will it take for you to change your direction? How hard is your heart? All of these things are, are, are questions being thrown out to those who dwell on the earth. So we have the trumpets blasting here. The sound of the angel speaking like a roaring lion. When does a, a lion roar? See, it's, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of lion roaring, but I, I would think if I'm in out somewhere and the lion roars, that's bad. What do you think? That's bad. I guess it's worse if he don't roar and he just jumps on you. At least if he roars, you know he's in a neighborhood before he gets you. The idea is carried out in Scripture that it's declaring the judgment of God. Let's look at a few of those. Job chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, By the breath of God they perish. By the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions, all broken. So, so God using similar language when he speaks of judgment. <coughs> Excuse me, talking in Job. Isaiah 31, same deal. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, when the band of shepherds is called out against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunting at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and all its hills. The idea is if God's roaring like a lion, we're not going to scare him away. Judgment is come. What was the trumpet for? Warning. What's the warning? Judgment's coming. What's the voice shouting? What's, the, what's it declaring? Judgment is coming. We're, we got one trumpet left. When the next trumpet sounds, it sounds for three and a half years. And during that three and a half years, you have the worst of all the judgments laid out for us in the book of Revelation occurring in those three and a half. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It's a, the, the declaration. In Hosea 5.14, God says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. What's the language of? Language is of Judgment. There's judgment coming. Hosea 11.10 They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling <coughs> from the west. So the idea, again, God, the sound of the trumpet, the sound of the lion, declaring the coming of judgment. Finally, Amos 3.8 says, The lion has roared, and who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So the idea, again, carries on. So what happens then? Look, there is, he, he cries out with a voice like a lion, which seems to signify 
judgment has come. He's standing on the earth, the land and the sea, declaring ownership. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It's all His. And then, he says in verse 4, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So right as he, he roars, and then seven thunders thunder. Now the Bible's full of this kind of language. When God speaks, it is like the thunder. His voice is like the thunder. The Word of God declares. <clears throat> Revelation 4, 5. From the throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne seven burning torches of fire, <clears throat> which are the seven spirits of God. Uh, Revelation 8, 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there was thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Psalm 29, 3 and 4. The voice of the Lord is over the water. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So when he cries out, when he makes that, that sound like the roar of a lion declaring, judgment is coming, here it comes, the last trumpet's about to sound. How many woes were we warned about? You remember? Three. The first two have come, right? We've seen a, 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 the unleashing of the worst of the demons that were chained in the abyss. They were set free. <clears throat> then we see what I think is a, a releasing of uh, four angels bound at the river Euphrates that bring a 200 million man, I believe, demonic army coming upon the world. Those are a couple of bad things, right? Whoa, whoa. How many we got left? One more woe. And I think the third woe is the seventh trumpet. The third woe is the last three and a half years. The first two woes happened in the first half. The last woe is... The rest. Woe. We're going to see in Revelation 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil has been cast out of heaven. And he knows he has but a short time. Woe. 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 So we've seen these three woes. <coughs> so when he roars, here comes the judgment. The seven thunders uttered its voice. So God says something from the throne. And John says, I was about to write it down. So John heard it. He knows what God said. What did God say? And yeah, don't write that down. So you can find no end of books from people who want to tell you what the seven thunders said. Let me make it easy for you. Nobody knows what the seven thunders said. Because God said, don't write it down. I've heard some of the craziest ideas in the last few days of looking and trying to figure out what the seven thunders uttered. The, the, the word of God is relatively clear, right? In, in regard to it. <clears throat> I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it down. So, unless you were there with John, you have no idea. Any more than I do. But God said something. The seven thunders spoke. Now we know everything that is written in Revelation. Revelation 22.10 this is what it declares. And he said to me, Jesus is speaking, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now when Daniel was written, Daniel was told to seal it up. People aren't going to understand this until the time of the end. 
But when we come to the book of Revelation, everything that's written, God said, don't seal it. Let it all go. So I can tell you, the thing that the seventh thunder said is not in here. Everything else is open to us. But the seven thunders that spoke, we don't know. So, you end up going someplace and somebody says, Hey, I want to tell you what the seven thunders said. They said, yeah, that's a knucklehead. He don't have no idea what the seven thunders said. Did I make that relatively clear? Said so sometimes It's funny to me how often the plain reading of the Bible is the hardest part for us. Yeah, he didn't write it down. We don't know. I spent like a hundred and some dollars on a commentary that's trying to tell me what the seven thunder said. And I'm thinking, I probably shouldn't have spent so much money on that. It should have been 1995. Because <laughs> he said, do not write it down. In Daniel 9.24, we have similar language used. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people, for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end of sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophecy. What's he talking about? To finish it, to complete it, to wrap it all up. To wrap it all up. Any way you look at it, any way you slice it, <clears throat> we're not going to solve that riddle. It is not written in the book of Revelation. But what is written, what he did tell us, that we ought to spend some time on, right? He makes an announcement. What's that announcement? Look at verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. So you see him standing there, he's claiming it, he's got a scroll in his hand, <coughs> raises his right hand to the heaven and swears by he who is eternal. Who's that? God. So he's swearing by God, right? He's lifting his right hand and he's swearing to God. Raises his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever <coughs> and ever. So... What do we see? We see uh, the authority and his dependency on God, right? He's looking up, honoring, glorifying the God of heaven. He swore by the eternal power of God, by the everlasting one. That's the first part, right? What else? And he swore by who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it. So how much of it all did God make? All of it, right? That's... That should be simple too. God created the heavens and the earth. And everything that's in the heavens and everything that's in the earth. Colossians, speaking of Jesus, said, There is nothing that was made that he didn't make. That seems relatively simply stated, doesn't it? Somehow we still mess that up. What does it say about Jesus? It says, Everything that was made, he made. He is eternal God. Was he laying out for us here? I swear by the eternal one, the one who lives <coughs> forever and ever, and the creator of everything. And the creator of everything. What's the last phrase? It says that there would be no more delay. That's not really what it says. Now some of our Bibles may have a variety of different things. What do I mean that's not really what it says? Well, the, the Greek phrase is much sip, simpler. There will be no more time. Now people trip on that. I think it's simple. He's saying time's up. I swear by him who lives forever and ever, by the creator of the heavens and the earth, 
times up. What's about to sound? The seventh trumpet. What's the seventh trumpet? The worst part of the judgment that God's pouring out on a Christ-rejecting world. The worst of the worst has come. Time's up. Judgment has fallen. The, you had the <clears throat> sixth trumpet sounding the warning that the seventh trumpet's coming. Here comes the seventh trumpet. Time's up. Make sense? So here's this angel declaring, I'm dependent on God, swearing by His eternal power, the everlasting one, the creator of all, that time is up. In Revelation 16, 17, we're going to read this. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne and said, It is done. Finished. Sound familiar? We've heard that phrase before, haven't we? Where do we hear that from? Who said it from a cross? Jesus said that from a cross? Huh. As he bore, right, the, the penalty for our sin. For he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice, that I might become the righteousness of God. As he bore <clears throat> the wrath of God upon the cross, when it was finished, when it was over, he said, it's done. What's being declared from the temple, from the throne... This is God's voice speaking in Revelation 16, 17. It is done. It is done. It will be finished by the seventh bowl. <clears throat> he states also, God's plans are on schedule. What do I mean? Look what it says in verse 7. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded. Now listen, I told you it sounds for the last three and a half years. Why? Because it's in the, what's that next word? It's plural, right? It's not one day, it's not one moment. How many is it? Multiple, right? In the days of that trumpet. That trumpet is going to last three and a half years. The last trumpet has within it the third woe, which is seven bowls of the wrath of God poured out in full upon the earth. So it's radical judgment, man. Radical judgment being poured out. So what's he saying? He said, look, in the days of that trumpet, when it's to be sounded, <clears throat> the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to the, his servants, the prophets. So God's going to finish everything he said he was going to do. Every promise we look at in Scripture that we say, we don't know if this has been fulfilled yet or when this will be fulfilled, well, by the seventh bowl, it's all done. Everything, every promise kept... Everything handled, everything put together, everything brought together, redeemed by Jesus Christ. He's stating God's plans are on schedule. The mystery of God will be fulfilled. What mystery? Any guess how many times that phrase is used in the Bible? 27 times. And the 27 times the mystery is used, how many do you think are speaking about the same thing? Not very many. Just so you know. <clears throat> so what do I mean? I mean there's a lot of things that God calls mystery. What are they? Well, I'm going to run you through them real quick. We're going to run through uh, a variety of things called the mystery of God. The kingdom of heaven is called a mystery of God. It says in Matthew 13, 11, he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets or the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. So you have that mystery. You have the kingdom. Mark 4, 11. And he said to them, To you it has been given 
the mystery of the kingdom of God or the secret of the kingdom of God for those who are outside, everything is in parables. He also talks about the blindness of Israel. The blindness of Israel in Romans eleven twenty five. Lest you be wise in your own eyes, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All these mysteries are going to be wrapped up. All of them are going to be finished. We see the mystery of the rapture. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die. Yeah, we won't sleep. But we shall all be changed. Because corruption can't inherit incorruption. God's going to change us all. The mystery of His will. Ephesians 1.9 Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. The Bible also talks about Christ and the church as a mystery. <coughs> it says in Ephesians 5.32, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The gospel of Christ is spoken of as a mystery. Ephesians 3.4, When you read this, speaking of the gospel, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory and the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of Christ in the church in the gospel. Colossians 4, 3. At the same time, Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of, a, of Christ on account of which I am in prison. What was Paul in prison for? Taking the gospel, right? Preaching the gospel. They put him in prison. The mystery of the gospel. It's all going to be wrapped up. In 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains until he will be taken out of the way. The mystery of lawlessness or iniquity. We see this mystery. The mystery of uh, God and Christ. In Colossians 2.2. 2, that their heart might be encouraged, being knit together, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Messiah. God's purpose and plan, the mystery of God and Christ. Mystery of faith, 1 Timothy 3.9. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Lots of mysteries, huh? The mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Who's he talking about? Oh, look how smart you guys are. The mystery of godliness. The mystery of the seven stars and the golden lampstands. We remember that, right? We're told that in Revelation. <clears throat> the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are... The seven churches. We're also going to talk about the mystery, Babylon the Great. 
The mystery, Babylon the Great, Revelation 17.5. On her forehead was written the name. A mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. A mystery. All going to be wrapped up in this seventh trumpet. And the mystery of the woman. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads, ten horns, which carries her, the woman who rides the beast. Another mystery. All of these are going to be wrapped up. They're all going to be finished. The mysteries of God are going to be complete. All tied up in the seventh trumpet. In that seventh trumpet. So, then we come to verse 8. How how are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do with all this? What do we do with this information? It says, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel (coughs) who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him, give me the scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. That's a little weird, no? Take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Oh, what in the world is that? The Bible, when it gives us information like this, It's often wrapped up in other places so that we can understand what's going on. We've often talked about the what is the sign a prophet is from God? Well, what is it? A prophet's from God because he's never wrong. Yeah, being wrong once means you're not from God. That's one of the things we talk about. You know another thing that marks a prophet from God? They all have a face-to-face with him. They all, whether we talk about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1, wherever we talk about, whatever prophet we're talking about, they have a face-to-face moment with God. In fact, one of them had one just like this. Can you imagine that? I wonder if there's anything we can understand from that. When God called His prophets, He actually had one prophet that He called just like this. His name was Ezekiel. And it takes place in Ezekiel chapter 2 and in Ezekiel chapter 3. In 2.9, we'll we'll read together from 2.9 to 3.9, something just like this. Let's look at it. When I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, the scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. It had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it, Words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Now what's written on the scroll that that Ezekiel's going to eat? It's judgment. A judgment on who? The nation of Israel. They're being judged by Babylon. It's the same. Ezekiel's happening the same time as Daniel. You guys know Daniel, right? So Ezekiel's going on at the same time, written at the same time. Daniel's in Babylon. Ezekiel's not. He's not going to be <clears throat> taken until the second uh, conquering of uh, of of Jerusalem, <coughs> and then he will be there as well. So, what's it lay out for us? It's going to be written: lamentation, mourning, and woe. And he said to me, "Son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel." So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. Now, what's he talking about? God is giving Ezekiel what? 
He's given him his words to do what? To eat. Take my words. Make them a part of you. Because what's he going to do with them? He's going to take those words and give them to Israel. What's he doing to John? John, these are my words. I need you to give these words to the people. So he gives it to John. And what's John supposed to do? Eat it. Make it a part of you. And then do what? Tell the people. Tell the people. What is it a picture of? It's God saying, this is my call of the prophet. This is me saying, this guy's speaking my words. Because I put my words inside of him. And he's going to speak those words as he goes. Now look at what Ezekiel had to deal with. It says in verse 3, He said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll and that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Now, does that not sound the same? It was in my mouth as sweet as honey. He said, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. So, you see the same kind of thing going on, right? Go tell the people. Go tell them what? What's going on? Warning, warning, warning. Judgment's coming. Did anybody in Israel, when the Babylonian kingdom came, did any of them have to suffer and die? God told them all, you're going into captivity. They're going to win no matter what you do. So stop fighting and go live. Build houses. Plant fields. Have a family. When 70 years is up, I'll bring you back. But what did they do? They fought. Tooth and nail. Yeah, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for what's mine. But God's saying, none of it's yours. You're living in my land. And you broke the deal with the landlord. We had a pact. We had a covenant, you and I. And you broke it. You didn't pay rent, so you're getting tossed out. And after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. Just because I'm graceful. Just because I'm willing to do that. So this is the word that, that Ezekiel is going to be sharing with the people. Jeremiah had the same message, didn't he? Now, Jeremiah stays with the rebellious people the whole time. Ezekiel ends up in Babylon. But, but uh, as he's with the rebellious people the whole time, what happens to Jeremiah? You guys remember? Where's Jeremiah die? Egypt. With who? The rebellious people that he said, don't go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're all going to die. And they said, we're going to Egypt. And the, the king of Babylon said, Jeremiah, I got a big fancy house I'll give you. Just stop talking to them people. They ain't going to listen to you anyway. Come with me. I'll put you in a big old castle. What did Jeremiah say? <clears throat> God's words are in me. And I got to speak them to his people. So where they go, I go. So he dies with them. Why? He had a job to do. What was his job? Tell them the word of God. What was Ezekiel's job? They never did. How well are they listening in the book of Revelation so far? <clears throat> Not so good, right? Not so good. Hopefully we listen better. Yeah? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. So far. I don't know it's over yet. <clears throat> so this is the thing. This is the picture. I don't want you guys to miss that. Look, look what happens next. I want you to speak my words to them. Verse 5. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and hard language, but to the house of Israel. This should be an easy job, Ezekiel. You're going to your own people. You don't even have to learn a new language. Uh, except, 
I'm not sending to many peoples a foreign speech or a hard language whose words they can't understand. Surely, if I sent you to them, they would listen. You get it? If I sent to them, they'd listen. But the house of Israel will not be listening, for they are not willing to listen to me. What did he say? The house of Israel are not willing to listen to you. Why? Because they don't want to listen to me. When people don't listen to you, why is it? Because they don't want to listen to God anyway. Does that abolish you of your responsibility? Nope. What's our job? Sound the trumpet, right? Sound the trumpet. Blow the warning. Tell people. Share that reality. It says, Israel has a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. That's the best way of saying they're hard-headed and they got a hard heart. Hard-headed, hard-hearted. They can't hear what you're saying. But listen to this part, verse 8. But I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their forehead. What's God given Ezekiel? Everything he needs to be God's witness in a harsh place. Is God giving you less? Is he giving you less than what he gave Ezekiel? The ability to be a witness for him? Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Same exact thing, right? Take the scroll and eat it. I ate the scroll. The Word of God is like honey. <clears throat> tastes good. Tastes good to us. Doesn't taste so good to those who hate God, despise His Word, and don't want to turn. So what do we have here? The divine call of John. This is the divine call of John. John, you're being filled with the words of God. Now I know the prophecy started earlier, but here's what this is what John's showing us. The, the moment. When God gave to him his words to eat. I'm sending you to a people that will not listen. Is that new? Is that something new that people don't listen? Does it have anything to do with when we're supposed to talk? A lot of times people say, where's the fruitfulness in in this ministry? Well, I don't know. It's a good thing you didn't ask that question to Jeremiah. Where was the fruitfulness in his? He died with the people who never listened to him. What was his fruitfulness to God? You think God didn't value that? You know when Jeremiah was called, God said, I have ordained you a prophet to my people from the womb. I got a job for you, Jeremiah. You think God was disappointed with Jeremiah? I don't think God's disappointed with him. He spent his life well doing what God asked him to do. You and I, we'd look at it and say, he never had a church, never built a big congregation. People never chanted his name. They never carried him on the shoulders. He was never a hero. He was hated his whole life. But he was willing to be hated his whole life just for the opportunity to show God, I love you more than all this. I love you enough to stand here while they throw tomatoes. Or say bad words. Or put me in dungeon. Or put me in jail. I'll do all this and more. Because I know that sometimes God sends us to a people who will not listen. But what does God tell him? I'm sending you, but I'm the one who's going to make you able to endure. He said, I'm going to set you like 
ebony. Right? I'm going to make you hard. I'm going to make you harder than them. I'm going to make your heart, they're going to hit you with their, their forehead, your forehead's going to be harder. You're not going to leave. Why? Because God wants His Word with His people. Even though they're rebellious, yes. He wants His Word with the rebellious people. Why does He want His Word with the rebellious people? Because He wants them, even in the face of judgment, to have had opportunity all the way to the sounding of the last trumpet. All the way to the end. They will have the witness. So that when they stand before God, they will be men and women without excuse. Because God had His witness in my life. That's the attitude of the prophets of God. They had this peculiar phrase. I love this phrase, and we'll close out with it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, it was bitter in my stomach. Sweet in my mouth, bitter in my stomach. There's some harsh things about the judgment of God, right? Yeah, none of us are overly excited about <clears throat> the judgment of God. But there's a lot of sweetness in the Word of God, too. Here's how Paul said it. And just listen to his words. In 2 Corinthians two fifteen and 17, he said this, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. I love that phrase. You get what he's saying? What happened right before Jesus was crucified? You guys remember that last night? We have, we have uh, this incredible thing written in Scripture for us, right? In the, in the final days of Jesus' life where <clears throat> a woman broke an alabaster jar her alabaster box she broke it poured out costly oil of spikenard upon him right dumped out this perfume on jesus and the people were complaining remember judas complained why didn't they we sell that and give it to the poor but really judas wanted his cut you guys remember the story remember what jesus said hey what she does they're going to talk about forever she has anointed me for my burial that scent would have lasted well into a week and it would have been extremely strong. So when Jesus is bleeding out on the cross, if you closed your eyes to all the crazy and you smelled, you'd smell the sacrifice that was given by Mary before. Now here, Paul says, you guys, are the aroma you smell like Jesus to God. Why? Because His blood's covering you, isn't it? If His blood is covering you, then that same scent that was on Him permeates us. It's just like the angel in the beginning. The angel looked like, right? He had some similar characteristics to God. We're supposed to smell like Jesus. You guys get the idea? We're supposed to be like Him, look like Him, smell like Him, talk like Him. So we're the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. You still smell like Jesus even to the ones who won't listen. To one, it's a fragrance from death to death. Sounds like bitterness in the stomach, right? To the other, it's a fragrance of life to life. The Bible tells us that the gospel is only foolishness to the perishing. But to we who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
tastes like honey in my lips, bitter in my stomach. That same word that brings life in one man's life also brings condemnation in another if he rejects that word. In verse 17 he says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Man, we want to smell like Him. Life to the life, death to death. Whether they hear or whether they don't, still have the same job. Still have the same job. <clears throat> what was the power? Uh, what was the powerful responsibility that John had? Look at that last phrase. You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. John, you got a lot of people to talk to. Any different for us? Jesus in the Great Commission, he called us all to go, didn't he? Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them the things that I have commanded you. And know this, lo, I am with you for how long? Always, Always even until the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me, let's pray. <clears throat> when you get there. Yeah, I, I promise. We all have these things, right? We say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. I got this distinct impression. When I get to heaven, whatever questions I got, going to go right out my head when I see Him. But we'll see. We can ask Him when we see Him. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for this day, the opportunity to open Your Word, to study Your Word, and to allow Your Word to come into us, Lord God. Even as John ate the scroll and was filled with the Word of God so that he might be able to give that Word out, I pray that we, your people, ex experience the same thing. <coughs> as we come together, and we study your Word and we make it a part of our lives, God, that as we put the Word in, you give us opportunity to give the Word out. Lord, we, we thank you for the truth of the warning of the trumpets. That the trumpet is not calling to... Uh, to a rebellious people saying, I can't wait to judge you. It's calling to them, you still have time to repent. You still have time to turn. You still have time to receive forgiveness of your sin. All of these opportunities lay out before us if we are willing to bow the knee before Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we, as your servants, would be willing to take that message, to take that word, to go into the world and make disciples. Because there's still time. God, we pray that you would empower us, even as you did Ezekiel, even as you did John. Lord, that you give us the strength necessary to be the men and women you're calling us to be. And in the end, may we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.